Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Martin Studio. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us today. Well, today in the show, we're going to talk a little about alfalfa production. If you've got any questions about that or anything that's happening on your farm, you can certainly give us a call, 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. You could also send us an email if you would like, radio at agphd.com, or find us on Twitter, agphdmedia, Darren Hefty or Brian Hefty. So with alfalfa production, I got a couple of things just to start the show off here. I would say the biggest thing that we're always going to recommend is the use of a pre-emerge herbicide. It's typically Eptam that we're going to talk about, full rate, four and a half pints per acre in a lot of areas. The reason why this is so critical is getting that alfalfa off to a great start is just tremendously important. You want to make sure that there's as little competition right away as possible because that alfalfa has got to be out there for a few years. And if it starts poor, well, it's probably going to be poor for those next few years. That's not good. The nice thing with Eptam is it's the same thing as the old Eradicane, only without the corn safener. But when you haven't used it for, let's say, five or ten years, it works incredibly well on grass and a whole lot of broadleaves. So last year, for example, we put in an alfalfa field. A neighbor put in a field right next to us. That neighbor had no pre. We had a pre. I mean, it was just night and day difference. I couldn't even tell it was alfalfa next to In fact, I, I wasn't sure. I thought, oh, did he not get, the, get his stuff seeded or whatever? Well, no, eventually the alfalfa came through it, but it was like wow, it was solid weeds out there and our field was perfectly clean and the alfalfa was tremendous. So anyway, Eptam, really big deal. The other thing I was going to mention to start the show here is at this time of year, if your alfalfa is just coming out of the winter, so you're in year two, year three, year four, whatever, evaluating that stand is really important. And one of the things that you want to look for is how about frost heaves in that ground? Is that crown now above the soil surface? Has has it literally pushed that alfalfa up? Are the roots broken? Things like that. But part of, a big part of why we end up with frost heaves if they're bad is because of excess moisture in the soil. And so just like we talk about in corn, soybeans, wheat, Drainage is really important, and I know a lot of people get concerned because of tile lines in alfalfa, and they say, well, I don't know if the alfalfa is going to mess up my tile lines and stuff. I always tell people, look, if you know alfalfa is going to be in the rotation, you can put your tile lines when you're installing them a little bit deeper. Instead of going three feet like we do in our region, I might say four feet, five feet, something like that. And then, sure, I mean, it's possible the alfalfa could mess up the tile lines, but I'm not nearly as worried. But the advantage to having that tile out there is you keep the water table down and now you don't end up with as as many issues with the frost coming out of the ground. So you're you can't prevent frost damage and the ground heaving to some degree all the time. Okay, don't get me wrong. But I am saying if we can keep that water table down, that does seem to be a pretty big deal. All right, we'll talk about alfalfa production more throughout the show today. Right now, let's get to the Ag PhD mailbag. It's now mailbag time with Brian and Darren. Okay, 
herbicide question here for you, Brian. This comes from Matt over in Indiana. He said, hey, guys, getting ready for some soybean burn down, and I plan to use the three pre's. I'm going to be using sulfentrazone, metribuzin, and prowl. And I'm planning on tank mixing 2,4-D and glyphosate with them. I've got a wheat cover crop and some one to two inch mare's tail that I'm going after. I've got sensitive areas I need to spray near, and in those I was going to use Liberty and glyphosate for the burn down. Can I tank mix Liberty and glyphosate with the three pre's, or should that yes. be a separate pass? Nope, you can you can do that. I, I guess, let's put it this way. If you're using the new 2,4-D, I hope these are 2,4-D tolerant soybeans. Otherwise, I would not recommend 2,4-D at all. But assuming they are 2,4-D tolerant soybeans, the new 2,4-Ds, whether it's Freelex or Enlist One, um, they basically don't move. I mean, they're not going to move much more than what Liberty is. They, we're just not seeing the volatility and drift out of the new 2,4-D as we did the old 2,4-D. I mean, it is night and day different. But if you want to mix Liberty together with Roundup, you can certainly do that, no problem. All right. Uh, I get this one from Phil over in Wisconsin. He said, I'm a fairly new radio listener, so you guys may have talked about this. But uh, as a rural mail carrier, last year I noticed that a farmer was burning a ditch, and it got away from him, and it burned a good 10 acres into a cornfield. And as I drive by every day, I noticed I could draw a line where the fire was throughout the summer, and the corn seemed clearly taller in the area that had been burned. Yep, for sure. So no idea how it yielded compared to the other area, but I'm wondering, is there any data or tests that have been done to show, is there an advantage to burning off corn residue? Okay, it's the same thing as tillage, where basically we're getting rid of that residue there, the ground's going to warm up more, and when that happens, yeah, you're you're going to have taller corn typically. You may or may not have more yield, though, and that's the whole thing. Typically, we're not necessarily seeing more yield. It's possible. It's also possible you could see lower yield if, let's say, for example, it turns out to be a drought year. But, yeah, um, that that's really what's happening there. Instead of doing tillage to blacken that soil, it got blackened because of the burning of the residue. The disadvantage to burning residue, or the big disadvantage, I should say, is, and people talk about, oh, it's loss of residue, protecting the ground from erosion and things like that. Yeah, that that is a disadvantage, but I think the bigger disadvantage is the loss of a lot of your P and K and nitrogen. So those are my, my big concerns. When you burn residue out there, you are losing nutrients. Now, granted, it might not be a tremendous amount, but it's still a few nutrients that you are losing. So anyway, yeah, I, I, I guess this it, this story is certainly isn't the first time we've heard about this kind of thing, and it won't be the last, because when you blacken that field, you are going to see a noticeable difference versus when you leave a lot of residue out there. There's good, there's bad. Thanks for the question. We're going to talk more about alfalfa production in just a minute. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. There are a lot of choices for closing systems in the market. 360 Wave has been topping them all in side-by-sides. More plants and ears, more bushels. They're in stock and ready to ship from 360. Most closing systems attempt to close from the top down. Wave closes from the bottom up, rolling moist soil over the seed, plus puts starter fertilizer in the sweet spot. There is still time to upgrade your closing system with 360 Wave. 
Learn more at 360yieldcenter.com. This season, get medieval on Rhizoctonia with the powerful protection of Excalia fungicide from Valent USA. Here to shield your sugar beets from the treachery of Rhizoctonia, Excalia delivers excellent staying power, keeping your sugar beets from being conquered. Stay one step ahead of Rhizoctonia with the powerful protection of Excalia. Ask your retailer or visit valent.com slash Excalia to learn more. Always read and follow legal instructions. It takes balance to be successful in farming because what you get out of it depends on what you put in. And Corteva AgriScience gets that. Introducing Nutricia and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer, a biological product that naturally captures nitrogen from the air. It's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season by visiting Corteva.us. You can count on AgroLiquid for precision crop nutrition. When you don't get all your potash down in the fall, when weather or market prices change your management strategy, or when you want to balance your fertilizer program with micronutrients. AgroLiquid is ready with the products and application flexibility you want for in-season crop nutrition and the research-proven results you need. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. We're talking about alfalfa production, I know this is something that hits pretty close to home for Brian and me. We've we had not raised alfalfa on our own farm uh, to any large degree for for quite a while, and now we've been raising a bunch of alfalfa here, supplying feed for a neighboring dairy. And some folks will say, "Well, the marketing is is a big challenge on alfalfa," and it certainly is. We want to make money and having a ready market like a livestock producer right next year, or, or if you're raising livestock yourself is great. Uh, but there are certainly other ways to, to make money on alfalfa. It's always something that's in demand. Got our friend Drex out in Southeastern Washington with us right now. Talk a little about that. How you doing Drex? Good. How are you guys this afternoon? You know, pretty good. I was just out in one of our alfalfa fields this morning and we, we just got rid of the snow here in the last week and I see a little bit of green up starting out there. It gets me excited. I know we're a ways off from that first cutting, but uh, alfalfa was, was a pretty good crop last year and looking forward to an even better crop this year. How about for you guys? Uh, alfalfa was good last year. Uh, I'll some of the, the Columbia Basin, all of the Columbia Basin where I am here in uh, southeast Washington, clear up to uh, central Washington, had a tough first cutting with a lot of rain, and there was a lot of ruined alfalfa hay and timothy grass hay. But uh, the markets treated us really, really good last year, record record markets. And uh, so we'll, we'll see what this next year brings. I don't know that we can repeat two record years in a row. But uh, we're watching fields green up. Alfalfa is uh, down here in the southern part of the basin. Oh, 10 inches tall, 10 to 12 inches tall. We're nice and greened up. We're uh, several weeks uh, over a month past our early season herbicide application. So things are really looking good. We are behind on heat units compared to the long-term average. So 
we, we may see just a little bit of delay in our typical first cutting dates. Sure. How about you mentioned weed control? Do you have a, a certain weed or or a couple of weeds that are really challenging to keep under control? Uh, China lettuce and mustards are are pretty typical. Um, once in a while, you'll see some bed straw. It's a little bit easier to control in alfalfa than in some of the other crops. Um, but uh, you know, we'll we'll go through early on with. Uh, um, pursuit of usually in the establishment year uh, and we, we typically uh, fall seed our alfalfa and, and if you've got good enough growth uh, it doesn't take a lot we hit pursuit in the fall of the establishment and then that uh, that next year is kind of a, a free ride as far as um, herbicide is uh, is concerned in in those and, and then, uh, like I say, we'll use, we've got different products we use depending on whether it's uh, second or third or fourth year alfalfa and what our rotation concerns are. But, but I'd say the, the mustards are some of the things we see. You can get some cheat grass and some other native grasses that we may need to control as well. I know we talk a lot about insects as well in our area. Uh, alfalfa weevil larvae can be a big challenge for us, but we've been using pyrethroids and having good luck. I'm hearing in your area pyrethroids aren't working as well. Have you seen this on your own farm? Uh, I don't know that I've seen it on my own farm. I've seen that we've had to treat a lot more, and I don't think that that's any um, relation to the pyrethroids not working as well. Uh, we, we really do work hard to mix up our chemistry, and it's, it's just a, a tough deal sometimes if you've got aphid and, uh, and weevil, and we see that. And, you know, depending on the time of year, you may even see some armyworm in there. And it just, when you get a, a varied population, then it really makes you dig into the tool chest as far as... Uh, as what you want to use the 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 pre-harvest interval and the increased price on some of the things that aren't pyrethroids sure make it make it a tough choice too sometimes yeah yeah no doubt about that well uh it's always a good idea to keep scouting out an alfalfa as as you're clearly mentioning here with all the different things that can pop up and and i know it's not easy raising alfalfa anywhere but it sounds like yours is off to a good start so good luck to you drex this spring really appreciate chatting with you here a little bit and you sharing more about your alfalfa operation excellent yeah that's great if you guys have an opportunity to share kind of some of the economic thresholds of uh of your insect scouting that would be really interesting to hear okay well i'll write that down here and we'll we'll try and dig into that here as we get going along on today's program hey thanks drex really appreciate it thank you guys all right got john leaf with us right now with agro liquid i'm assuming john you probably want to talk fertility here just a little bit uh, maybe not the insect thresholds just yet we can get back to that though yeah, I'd, I'd rather talk fertility than insect thresholds <laughs> today, yes. Well, you never know what's going to pop up for insects, but you do know for sure that alfalfa is going to draw nutrients out of the soil, which, I mean, honestly, it makes great feed. There's a lot of nutrition there for animals, but we got to feed that plant right. So where does it start? Well, as with most other crops, it starts with the soil test, of course. 
so you want to make sure that your uh, your potassium levels are in balance with everything else. Uh, potassium is usually the the biggest uh, concern when it comes to uh, nutrition in alfalfa because it takes so much. And as uh, you harvest alfalfa and take it off the field, all of that potassium, all that phosphorus, all the micronutrients that uh, go into that crop are taken off the field with it. So uh, you have to be very diligent at, uh, at replacing and renewing those, uh, those nutrients in the soil. So, John, one of the things we've talked about here on the show is, like, us, for example, we're right next to a huge dairy. We get manure from them, and we just said, you know, <laughs> the best alfalfa fields a lot of times are where you've loaded it up with manure over the years, so then you have so much potassium there to uh, pull out over time. So you're right, it does take a tremendous amount of K. So let's say that a farmer didn't have that. Let's say you didn't have a lot of K going in. What do you suggest as you go through the life of that stand? When should you be adding potassium and how? Uh, typically, um, at least in the Midwest, you know, that's, that's what I'm most familiar with, Midwest and Northeast. Uh, at, the, uh, at the beginning of the growing season, uh, the soils have typically uh, uh, mineralized or released uh, a fair amount of potassium from overwintering. So uh, we typically let the uh, the crop come to first cutting and take that off and then we'll supply our first uh, amount of potassium after that um, and then uh, depending on how many cuts a uh, grower is taking uh, we may put another application on after like the third cutting uh, perhaps if it's in a four cut system and we also want to get some potassium on at the end of the growing season that seems to help uh, get things ready for winter, helps things with winter hardiness, uh, keeps winter kill from uh, from being a big issue. Talk to us real How quick much? about talk to us yeah. real quick about boron or any other micronutrient that would be really important for alfalfa. We got a mi- about a minute left here, John. All right, yeah, um, boron is uh, one of those micronutrients that uh, alfalfa really responds to well. And uh, getting that on at the same time as your potassium early uh, after that first cutting is great. We've also seen a nice benefit of manganese, uh, able to uh, um, get some uh, some nice benefit uh, from putting manganese on uh, in the midst of that growing season. Yeah. So those are the two big ones that we uh, that we try to concentrate on. Yeah, I, I, I think it's important to understand with alfalfa, it's not just about the P and the K. It's looking at those micronutrients, too, because, like you said, I, I mean, they the, the alfalfa crop can really respond even from a micro like manganese that I don't think not enough people talk about. Well, we've been visiting with John Leaf. He is with AgriLiquid over in Michigan. John, thanks for the time today. Appreciate it. You're sure welcome. Thank you. Talking alfalfa production today on Ag PhD Radio. And you may say, hey, I've got an agronomic question, but it's about a different crop. That's okay, too. Our phone lines will be open throughout the show at 844-44-AG-PHD. You can always email us, radio at agphd.com. We'll be right back. When we told growers that New Bear Premium Trifold Herbicide for corn delivers visibly clean fields for up to eight weeks, they were a bit skeptical. Um, we'll see how it works. So we decided to prove it. We set up cameras in multiple cornfields, treated them with Trivolt, and filmed for 24 hours a day. For eight weeks, we saw a variety of weather conditions, and Trivolt worked. 
See for yourself at trivoltinaction.com. Trivolt is a restricted-use pesticide. Consult your state pesticide regulator for specific restrictions. Read and follow pesticide label directions. This is Officer Jones calling for backup. 10-4, location? Graber, back 40. Looks like we've got Palmer amaranth, kochia, some common water hemp. Resistant weeds. Copy that. You'll need a good tank mix partner. I'm sending tough 5 UC. Come out with your hands up! Guys, we're surrounded. Crack down on repeat offenders. Add Tough 5 EC to your post-emergence tank mix. Learn more at toughonweeds.com. Always read and follow label directions. Tough is a registered trademark of Belgian Crop Protection. Control the toughest weeds with overlapping residuals. Lock in the longest-lasting control for your soybean fields. A pre-emergence application of an authority brand herbicide plus a post-application of Anthem Max herbicide establishes the overlapping residual control key to safeguarding your soybean seasons. This pairing is a heavy-duty economical strategy against Palmer Amaranth, Waterhemp, Kochia, and more. Visit your FMC retailer or lockin.ag.fmc.com today. Always read and follow all label directions. At Ag PhD, we're always looking for ways to support the ag industry. That's why at our free Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships event, we're giving away more than 100 college scholarships. Plus, we'll head out into the field for hands-on agronomy sessions, including our comprehensive guide to crop scouting. This day may be geared towards younger farmers, but whether you're a college student or just want good agronomy info, this is one event you won't want to miss. Learn more and register for the Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships event at agphd.com. Head over to your local CNB to get yourself a new John Deere planter or schedule inspections to make sure your equipment is as ready for spring as you are. Visit CNB Operations online at DeerEquipment.com. That's D-E-E-R Equipment.com. Morton buildings are made to last for generations. With superior materials, craftsmanship, and best-in-class warranty, we are committed to quality. To learn how we can help you expand your farm operation, visit MortonBuildings.com. Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. Get your planter ready for spring with Germinator Closing Wheels from Farm Shop MFG. And now when you buy 12 rows or more, get free shipping or 20% off an end zone bin system. Offer good while supplies last, so order yours today at FarmShopMFG.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, talking alfalfa production on today's program and taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. Well, we've been talking a little bit about the fertility needs and, and just some good practices farmers are taking, but of course it takes equipment to get the job done. We've got Jeremy Thorpe with us right now with Case IH to talk a little about that. How you doing, Jeremy? I'm doing good. How are you guys today? Pretty good. Pretty good. All right. We know there's big differences out there uh, with equipment and, and how we do things and how we time things out. So well, what are some of the big things that, that Case IH likes to talk about to help growers get the best crop they can get? Well, one of the one of the things that we like to focus on is the farmer, right? So his his productivity, his production, and his bottom line. So that's, that's a lot, big key messages that we like to focus on when it comes to talking 
RA tools. You know, one of the things that's kind of interesting when you think about alfalfa production is we're not just taking one cutting. We're, we're trying to take as many cuttings as we can throughout the season. And the equipment makes a big difference in, in terms of how you're going to leave, what condition you're going to leave the, the remaining crop in and the stubble in so you can get faster regrowth. What are some of the things that, that you've seen and what are some of the studies you've done to, to help leave the alfalfa in, in the best shape? Yeah, uh, well, for sure. The uh, alfalfa crop is a is a cash crop, and uh, I, I cover the western part of the U.S. and and that's a that's a big um, that's a big crop for us. And so, what one of the things we look at is is how do we when we cut that you know we cut it, how are we uh, handling that material, and then how do we condition that material, package it, haul it away. But then the regrowth, the agronomic side of that business is a big player as well. You know, you, you talk about uh, how you package things up. Keeping leaves on the plant is is a real big thing. And I know a lot of, a lot of producers have their own strategies for that. And, and certainly the, the equipment can help on that too. Yeah, we, uh, well, we like to brag about our, our conditioning system on our wind growers and how our, uh, our rolls conditioned or crimp the hay for allowed to for drying. But we decided that uh, the best way to do it was to get some backing from a university. So we hired Utah State University several years ago, CNH did, and said, hey, we want to know where we fit in the market compared to um, some of the competitors that are out there. Um, and those, those studies came back, some in our favor and some not. And uh, one, of the, one of the benefits was um, when compared to our rolls on our, our self-propelled wind rowers and the conditioning systems that we have on that, we offer a rubber roll set up and uh, we were able to maintain or retain 99% of the leaves and condition the stems at the same time they get rid of the stem moisture. So um, we actually came out on top on that study. Yeah, that's, it's really interesting. And I know it certainly comes to, um, to buyers of the hay as well, when they find good suppliers that are, that are producing high quality bales like that, uh, that that's where they want to keep going back to. Uh, I know you've got a lot of different equipment and, and we can get into balers just a little bit, but we can also talk about wind rowers. Uh, what are some of the things that, that we should be looking for with wind rowers when, when we're making those choices? I think the biggest thing is, is the uptime. That's, that's affects the bottom line uh, for most growers. Um, uptime and, and the machine itself. So being able to, to cut, clean, condition that material all on the fly on a product that is, like you said, multiple passes through the field and usually at higher speeds than most other harvesting equipment. So, um, Yeah, the uptime is huge because when it's time to cut, you've got to be ready to go for sure. Uh, one last question for you, Jeremy. When it comes to balers, what's the trend right now? Is it large squares? Is it large rounds? Uh, please tell me it's not going back to small squares. That's how Brian and I grew up. That was a lot of work for us. Well, so it really depends on where you're at in the uh, in the country. So out west here where, where I am, it's primarily big squares. Um, a lot of more uh, of the big square market is shifting over to higher density balers. Um, and, but as you move towards the Midwest and, and further east, uh, we see some big squares out through that market, but mostly it's round balers. Um, one of the benefits of KSIH is we offer the full line. We offer from the small square balers 
that are still holding their own um, all the way through four foot wide, five foot wide, wide round balers, clear up to our three by four big square balers, three by threes, and even high density balers. Well, I sure like high density bales. That means I don't have to handle them by hand. <laughs> We're talking with Jeremy <laughs> Thorpe here with Case IH a little bit about alfalfa production. Jeremy, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. Well, thank you. Look forward to chatting with you again. You bet. I've got a friend, Rocky Lemus, down at Mississippi State to talk a little bit about alfalfa production. Rocky, how are you today? I'm doing good. How are you? Good, good. All right, when it comes to alfalfa production, what's what's a little bit different in Mississippi, or, or what are the, some of the big challenges in Mississippi you've got to deal with? Well, you know, one of the challenges that we have to deal with is our weather conditions, you know. Our heat and humidity, especially this time of the year, already alfalfa is in, in full production here because of our early, warmer weather conditions and using non-dormant varieties, you know, we're looking at dormancy six, seven, eight um, varieties that fit into our environment. Uh, they tend to to uh, keep that production much earlier than some people in the Midwest. So uh, we have producers in the Delta, Mississippi Delta, that are uh, started to cut their, their alfalfa. So it's a little bit challenging when uh, usually our spring is very wet, uh, trying to get that alfalfa to, to dry. And that's where, you know, trying to utilize a, a conditioner is become essential. Or also, depending what your market is, you know, looking at either using bellage uh, as a preserving system for the alfalfa this time of the year. Yeah, that is that is for sure a challenge. And when you said non-dormant varieties, I was just thinking, I had said it earlier in the show, I was just down at one of our alfalfa fields, Rocky, and it's just starting to grow. <laughs> the snow has only been gone for about a week, so much different conditions. When, when you have non-dormant varieties, are insects a challenge through much of the season, or does that kind of die down by the time you get to November, early December? Well, it, it depends. You know, usually in the wintertime, we don't see a lot of insects but or disease pressure. But, you know, most of the issues that we see with diseases is usually when we have that year establishment where you might have some issues with rhizotonia because it's really, really wet. Uh, but we see more aphids uh, early in the spring that we'll see in other part of the country probably because of the conditions. But also one of the... One of the measures, I think, insects that we have to deal with is army worms. You know, army worms is, is a pest for us in the south. It's, it's a major pest in Bermuda grass production, but also a scene where some of my uh, five-acre alfalfa research plots get decimated in one night. You know, you come back and all you find is the stems with all the leaves gone. So, so I think, you know... Uh, be able to maintain a scouting and an insecticide program that allows you to get ahead of that is usually something that is a priority. You know, you mentioned army worms, and and I just think about insects in general with with Lorsban going off the market. I know there are a lot of growers that that liked Lorsban. It seems like there's a pretty heavy reliance on pyrethroids. Are are you seeing issues with pyrethroid performance? Are you seeing other products start to uh, come to the top of the list for growers to choose? Yeah, one product that we use, Demolin doesn't work for us, or Mustard Max, uh, uh, sometimes seven, depending on what stage and what is the uh, the uh, insect pressure that we have, we can actually switch into in those products. And also depend also when uh, the army worm um, 
pressure comes because it sometimes might come when you close to harvest that alfalfa, and then you have to think about uh, harvest intervals and restrictions that you have with some of these insecticides. So depending on the management and the strategy, uh, you have to look at you know what can fit better at that time of the of the invasion of those insects. Yeah, pre-harvest interval is is part of that equation, and and certainly the thresholds and and which bugs are coming when. Now we're talking with yeah. Rocky Lemus here. Lots to think about with alfalfa production. Rocky, thanks for sharing a little bit about what's going on down in Mississippi. Look forward to talking to you. You're again. welcome. Always to see you guys. To talk to you guys. You bet. We're talking alfalfa production on today's show, and we're taking your calls and questions too at eight four four forty four AG PhD. Get what you spray for, results. Get the lasting control more corn growers trust with Anthem Max Herbicide from FMC. Apply pre-plant, pre-emergence, or early post-emergence to control tough broadleaf weeds and grasses before they cost you. For superior control with a low use rate and long residual, make the easy, high-performing choice. Visit anthemmax.ag.fmc.com to get results. Always read and follow all label directions. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at HeadsUpST.com. My mom's got a new case I extractor and it can do it all. Bale hay all day. Stay in the dark with its powerful LED lights. Hook up all the implements. Ship like a race car, steer with ease. And it can also cool my juice box. Yeah, her case IH tractor can do everything she needs it to. Looking for a tractor that can do it all? Check out caseih.com. Nothing gets a better view of your crops than your pivot. Plant Insights powered by Prospera transforms your center pivot into a crop health monitoring machine. Be one of two growers to get Plant Insights on your farm with a free one-year subscription. Enter to win at agtechonthefarm.com. With Plant Insights, you can see everything your pivot does all season long, from emergence to pests, weeds, and disease. Enter today at agtechonthefarm.com. With Plant Insights, you'll walk away a winner. When we told growers that New Bear Premium Trivolt Herbicide for corn delivers visibly clean fields for up to eight weeks, they were a bit skeptical. Um, we'll see how it works. So we decided to prove it. We set up cameras in multiple cornfields, treated them with Trivolt, and filmed for 24 hours a day. For eight weeks, we saw a variety of weather conditions, and Trivolt worked. See for yourself at TrivoltInAction.com. Trivolt is a restricted-use pesticide. Consult your state pesticide regulator for specific restrictions. Read and follow pesticide label directions. The value of your farm building is in its ability to protect what's stored inside. From the smallest fastener to the trusses overhead, Morton leaves absolutely no detail to chance. It's how we ensure that your building stands the test of time. From concept to completion, we take pride in providing a high-quality building to last for generations. To get started on your next project, please visit mortonbuildings.com.
Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here, along with my brother Darren. We're live in the Morton studio today, just talking about alfalfa production. Last year on our farm, we put in about 500 acres of alfalfa. We hadn't raised alfalfa for many years. But there's a big local dairy. They wanted alfalfa, and we said, you know, we farm quite a few acres. We still have plenty of acres to do corn and soybeans. So let's throw some alfalfa in, and we'll see how we do. And, I mean, so far it's been good. It's just last year was such an unbelievable year for corn. I was a little sad we didn't have 500 more acres of corn in. But, you know, the first year you put alfalfa in, you can't expect that it's going to be your best year. Hopefully now this year, year two, not the seeding year, but the the first full year we've got, hopefully this is our best year with that alfalfa. And I, I'm very optimistic. I think it's going to be great. Just a few things that we talked about for our own farm, and I figured I would share these with you. We talked already about Eptam and what a big deal that is. But in terms of the between cuttings thing, here are the things that we are typically doing. So one, we're using some plant growth hormones. We're trying to push root development. We are obviously trying to increase the overall tonnage out of our crop, but we are using some plant growth hormones. We are using some amino acids as well, some fulvic acid. And on top of that, we're using a little bit uh, on the micronutrient side. What we did before we ever seeded the alfalfa is we built our soil potassium levels up to either 6 or 7% base saturation K. And we're talking probably, depending on the field, 600 to 1,000 pounds of available K in the soil. The dairy only wants us to keep the alfalfa in for three years. Now, a lot of people over the years have said, oh boy, minimum four years, but I might leave it in seven years or something. Um, The dairy is really going for high quality and they just want it in for three years. So that's kind of what we looked at and we just said, all right, how many tons do we think we can produce? How much P and K are we going to need? We get very little moisture around here and we have heavy soils, so we can't get phosphorus down into the ground hardly at all and with potassium it's a real struggle too so we figured all right we're going to build up the p and the k down deep in the ground prior to seeding that alfalfa and we'll go from there so at the moment we aren't planning at least in year two to do a whole lot of supplemental potassium or some of these other nutrients that we have really loaded up. So the idea was to get the ground all built up, then draw it down over three years, and then be fertilizing heavily again as we go into another crop. Also earlier in the show, we talked about manure. So one of the challenges that a lot of these large livestock operations have is they have a lot of manure that they have to get rid of. Well, the farther away from their livestock operation they go, the more money it costs to do the trucking. So the idea is you want to put as much on as you can, so you're still legal and everything. But in a lot of cases, it's a build program for the field. In other words, with our corn and soybean crops that we're raising, typically corn in this case, you can't extract all those nutrients in a year, so we're putting on more than you can extract. So that's where the alfalfa thing is pretty nice because, hey, if we get if we get some of these levels built up real high, uh, we can draw them down fairly well with alfalfa because alfalfa likes that that high fertility ground. 
The other big thing that we cannot stress enough here is you've got to make sure that soil pH is right. There are some crops that are fairly adaptable. I look at soybeans. You know what? At a 7.5 pH, at a 5.5 pH, we're still getting fairly decent yields. I mean, it's real close to if we had ideal pH of around 6.5. But that is not the case with alfalfa. At a 7.5 pH, you're going to be fine. At a 5.5 pH, it's going to be disaster. Disaster. It's terrible. So this is why you've got to make sure that that pH is right before you go into alfalfa. So here's an example for you, because we've had this question come up quite a few times. People will say, well, my pH is a little low, but I'm going to put lime on, and then I'm going to seed alfalfa right away. And I go, wait a second here. <laughs> lime typically breaks down over two, three, four years, depending on how much moisture you have and heat and everything else, microbial activity, all that kind of stuff. So what I'm saying is, if your pH is too low today, it's not going to instantly change like the day after you put that lime on. Oh, I, I went from a five and a half. I'm all the way up to 6.8 now. No, it's not going to work that way. So I'd encourage you plant some other crop for a year or two until you get that pH fixed. Once you see the pH is 6.8 or above, hey, now I, I feel real comfortable. And you might say, well, wait a second. I don't want to raise it all the way to 6.8. I only want to raise it to 6.3 or 6.5. Even at a 6.3 or 6.5, I'm pretty sure you are not going to maximize that alfalfa production. It likes that pH real close to 7. So just something for you to keep in mind because that is probably a bigger deal than almost anything else we have talked about so far today. The data will show you if you've got real low pH, your alfalfa production suffers greatly. And then to make things even worse, your stand doesn't last as well moving forward. So that's probably the other big question we get is how can I keep that stand doing well so I have a good year two, year three, year four, whatever, and I don't have weeds taking over. All right, well, we talked already about EPTAM. You've got to start as weed-free as possible. We've talked about soil fertility. You want to have great levels of K, not just good. I mean great. They have to be absolutely outstanding, and your phosphorus levels need to be there too. But on top of that, you got to look at some other nutrients, boron, zinc, copper, manganese, iron, all these things really play a role into having good survivability. On top of that, you want to make sure that you are controlling bugs. So one of the other things that we will do in between cuttings, and I mean like literally every cutting if necessary, hopefully it's not necessary, but we will spray insecticide. and. Well, and let's talk about that insecticide because uh, we had a question right away off the bat. Drex said, what do you guys think about economic thresholds for these bugs in alfalfa? And I'll just give you a few examples, Brian, and you can react to this as you'd like. Uh, potato leaf hoppers. They say if you've got really small alfalfa, like three inches or less, two to three per ten, ten sweeps. But if it's seven to 11 inch alfalfa, you need one every sweep in order to justify treatment. With aphids, it's 1.2 aphids per stem. I'm not sure how they figured that exactly, but 1.2. Plant bugs, two to three per sweep. And alfalfa weevil larvae, they say if you've got a strong stand of alfalfa, you need to see 40% of the stand have feeding on it in order to justify treatment. Yeah, I'm not I, doing that. I can't. There, I don't know anybody that would wait that long, that would see that much damage okay. and say, okay, now I'm going to treat. Right. But But here's the whole thing. It all depends on 
what your economics are. Because what we're talking about here, a lot of people want to say, well, what's the threshold? No, I don't give a rip about a threshold. What I care about is what is the economic threshold. In other words, at what point am I going to be losing more money than I would if I spray? And the difference between alfalfa versus a lot of these annual crops we're often talking about, like corn and soybeans, is corn and soybeans, I, I want the plant to die at the end of the year. But alfalfa, it better darn well not die, not just this year, but next year, the year after, and maybe even the year after that. So we've got to think the think about long-term implications of the things, the decisions that we make today. So here's where I'm going on this. If let's say you're out there already spraying these things in between cutting, like we are, I mean, like literally every cutting, every single cutting, we will spray amino acids and plant growth hormones and some other things. Well, I'm already making a trip across the field. The insecticide literally costs like $2 an acre. You can't tell me that I need to have 40% of my plants damaged before I'll invest $2 an acre, two, when my alfalfa crop hopefully is going to bring me in $1,000 an acre per year. What? I'm not, yeah, $2 is nothing. I'm spending that $2. I'll tell you what, my threshold, my economic threshold is I don't have to see very many bugs. If I'm out there and I'm doing a single sweep, so in other words, per sweep, and I find any bug. So in other words, I don't care which bug it is. If it's a harmful bug, I add them together. And that's one of the mistakes I think a lot of people make. They're like, well, I didn't hit the threshold on this one or this one or this one or this one. Well, if you have all of them out there, you don't need to. They're all additive and cumulative. So that's what you got to look at more than anything. All right, we're going to get to your questions coming up next. When it comes to serial disease protection, Prosaro Pro 400 SC fungicide from Bayer makes all the difference. With three effective active ingredients for overlapping control of foliar and head diseases and a flexible application window for head scab, it's formulated to lower dawn, protect yield potential, and promote superior grain quality. Prosaro Pro, the future of plant health starts here. Visit prosaropro.com to learn more. Always read and follow grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. The hardworking independent spirit of rural America can often be isolating. It's not often discussed, but mental health issues are real. Now's the time to lead by example, talk openly, and show that a strong mind is just as important as a strong body. FMC is proud to be working toward ending the misconceptions around mental health through awareness, guidance, and action. Together, we can uproot the stigma. You won't want to miss this year's Ag PhD Field Day with guided tours of our extensive research plots, world premieres of the latest ag technologies, the highest yielding farmers on the planet, and more equipment running than ever before. The Ag PhD Field Day just keeps getting bigger and better. We'll also have great family entertainment, including a kids area, music, fantastic guest speakers, and food and drink available all throughout the day. But the best part is everything's free. Go to agphd.com to learn more for the Ag PhD Field Day, Thursday, July 27th. Win the war against weeds in your soybean fields with fierce herbicides from Valent USA. With three different formulations and multiple modes of action, you're sure to find the right fierce product to protect your operation from tough weeds like Palmer Amaranth and Waterhemp. Give your soybeans a strong, clean start with up to eight weeks of residual control with the powerful pre-emergence protection of fierce herbicide. Ask your local retailer or visit valent.com fierce to find the right fierce formulation for you. Always read and follow label instructions. 
At Corteva AgriScience, we want to keep farms healthy and productive today and tomorrow. That's why we're investing in a robust pipeline of naturally derived biologicals. Meet Nutrition and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer. It's a sustainable nitrogen fixation product that facilitates crop growth and optimizes yield potential. With the fluctuation in fertilizer prices, Utricia N is a reliable solution. It can be used alongside your traditional nitrogen program to enhance your ROI this year. For more information, visit Corteva.us. The weeds are coming! The weeds are coming! Hey! Paul Revere! This whole midnight ride thing is getting really... But the HPPD-resistant weeds are coming. We've got Verdict Herbicide. Verdict Herbicide? Yeah, it's a non-HPPD corn pre-herbicide from BASF. Oh, well then, get some sleep. Yeah, will do. The weeds are coming! Switch to Verdict Herbicide! Always read and follow label directions! Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We've been talking alfalfa production, but we've got a number of questions and comments that have come in to the Ag PhD mailbag. Got this one from David down in Kansas. He said, uh, "Hey guys, uh, we split split a field, did some the way the locals recommended we do it, and then we did some following your recommendations. It's still green." Even though we've been awfully dry, extreme drought with less than two inches of rain in the past few months, uh, it appears that the ideas of reducing plant stress through ample fertility and plant health uh, are really paying off in these weather conditions. We'll let you know how it turns out come harvest. Hey, David, thank you so much. Really appreciate that. That's It's really neat to to see when you actually go side by side. And I would say this to anybody listening, if you say, man, I don't know, you guys have some crazy ideas sometimes. Uh, that's okay. Uh, if it sounds like something that, that well, maybe it'll work, but I don't want to risk a whole lot. We always recommend start, start on new things on a small scale. Try them out see how they work and if they work uh, on a small part of your farm then you can start using them on a bigger part of your farm and uh, that that's really cool stuff David thanks thanks for sending that in I got this one from DA uh, you guys are talking about fixing high pH soils and I'm just curious uh, could you comment specifically on a couple of nutrients and their ability to to change pH and hopefully lower pH number one would be sulfates and number two would be the role of phosphorus, if you see phosphorus playing any sort of role in reducing pH. If your soil pH is high, something is out of balance. A lot of times we talk about sulfates to flush excesses out. For example, sodium is it, it can increase soil pH almost 4 to 1 compared to calcium. We talked about that just a little bit on the show yesterday. Anyway, if you could flush the sodium out, well, then your pH is going to come down. Now, is that going to happen overnight? Not a chance. It's going to take some time. Okay, so sulfates can can flush out sodium, magnesium. I mean, some of these excesses that are causing the pH to go higher. So, yes, it's possible that sulfates could help. But here's the thing. We don't know if your pH is high because of those nutrients. Why is your pH high? I'm, I'm not sure. So if I can see a soil test, then I would give you my recommendation. It's kind of the same thing for phosphorus, only in reverse, where we may need to build something up. So if you've got very low levels of phosphorus, you want to get that built up, get your nutrients in balance. Maybe things will start to get better over time. But here's one big thing too. If you just do a better job fertilizing your crop, and phosphorus is a big part of that, your crop will have more roots. 
the roots then will kick out more organic acids and those acids can help lower your pH. So there's a lot that goes into this thing. It's not just, oh, there's one simple answer to lower pH. It all depends on what your situation is, but usually when people have high pH, we'll say these things. Number one, fix your drainage. Number two, let's get the nutrients in balance. And then we're going to see from there what else we need to do. Is it possible you might have to throw out some elemental sulfur or something? Sure, it's possible. We do a little bit of that on our farm. But, I mean, there's there's just there's so much there. We could spend an entire show talking about this. If you want to send us your soil tests, we'd be more than happy to take a look at them and give you a more precise recommendation for your situation. All right. Thanks for, for the questions. Uh, I get this from HB. Uh, it says, the window between wheat harvest and getting double crop beans planted is the most critical of the year for me. And I can't even imagine waiting for results uh, to see what kind of nutrient value there was in the wheat straw. Uh, although it would, I suppose, give you a baseline for the following year. All right, HB. So when it comes to fertility, we, we were talking about the value of wheat straw was, was how this comment got started. Oh. We, we aren't, we're more looking at that as, Hey, I bailed up wheat straw. I hauled it away. How much do I charge for that? Cause I have to replace those nutrients that, that I gave up. And we've found a number of folks that, Oh, it's just, it's $10 a bale. It's $20 a bale. And when fertilizer prices get really high, maybe it's $40 a bale just to replace the fertility out there. And we're just encouraging people in that case, just to make sure you know what you got. Yeah. And what we would typically tell you is, Hey, if you're going to be raising two crops, why not fertilize for both crops at the same time? Just look at, all right, what do I plan to raise for wheat? What do I plan to raise for soybeans? Get all that level of fertility out there. And then once both those crops are off, then you test and see. But yeah, if you're if you're going wheat right into soybeans, you got to get moving because every day the soybean yield is probably going down that you have delayed planting. All right. Um... Thanks for the, the question. I uh, get this one from Carl, and, and we were talking about spraying 2,4-D safely, and he said uh, if we use a fine mist, the we're seeing reduced pressure needed. Fine mist drifts. Oh, I see. I'm sorry. I read that backwards. Fine mist drifts, so reduce your pressure. That's what Carl was saying. Just cut cut the pressure back, and they're doing okay. And, you know, with most well, products, when we're talking about physical drift, I understand what you're saying. If you get yes. really small particles, you're going to see more Agreed. physical drift. Agreed. With that 240, we are worried about physical drift. We're also worried about the volatility with some of the old formulations of 240. We really encourage folks, consider if, if it's labeled for what you're doing using the new 240 choline in products like Freelex and Enlist One. There's such a fine line, though, because here's the problem. If you reduce your pressure too much, then you're going to have way bigger droplets and you will not have as good a coverage, which means well, you, you might, don't have as good a control. It might compromise your spray pattern. You might not that see too. that same spray angle. All of a sudden you that see too. the ends of that spray angle uh, start to fall in and you don't get great coverage. So I know there there's a lot of challenges with it. It's it's not super simple, but I definitely get your point, Carl, that when you get really fine mist, uh, physical drift can be much more of a problem. Uh, all right, this one comes in from Nick. Uh, we were talking about contact versus residual herbicides. Uh, and he said, uh, when I till deep, uh, let's see, what is, 
Oh boy, it's it's a little tough to read this one. We we get we gotta uh, have Darren come in a little early well, and read through the questions. I, I first. thought I understood it, and then I looked at it one more time. I'm like, wait, now uh, planting corn. This is what amazing if radio I, today. What if I till it too deep? Well, grammar's not re- required when you send in a question, but it does. It is helpful. And he says, "What if I till my residual herbicide in too then deep? Then it's not going to work when I'm planting corn. Yeah. What what will be the issues, and yeah. would it even hurt germination?" Um. Well, could it theoretically hurt germination? Sure. But a lot of these products are fairly safe and have safeners with them. So I'm not super worried about that. And by the way, you know, even if you lose a little bit of your stand, some people think, oh, it's the complete end of the world. It's absolutely not. In a lot of cases, people with 10%, 15 20% stand losses, their yield is still almost 100%. So it's it's not like it's that big a deal. But sure, we'd love to have a perfect stand. That would be great. That's what we're after. When you bury the herbicide, it's just not going to work. A lot of these herbicides are what we call shoot inhibitors. So they need to be above where the seed is at and hit the shoot of the plant. Well, that's not going to happen if you get that herbicide down at three, four inches deep because a lot of these grasses will germinate in the top inch of soil. So we want to keep them relatively shallow, and then we have the best control usually. All right, thanks for the question. This comes in from Corey now over in southwest Minnesota. Hey, guys, uh, thanks for the show. Uh, You always keep my wheels turning. I've been renting ground for a few years, and I've got a long-term rental agreement. The phosphorus numbers are in single digits, and potassium levels are in the 100 to 300 part per million range. So I'm trying to increase those levels. I've got access to a neighbor's cattle manure. Great. And I know that you guys are always worried about too much salt. So I sent you the analysis for this manure. I'm just curious. What would be the maximum amount of tons I could put safely on per acre? Well, maybe I'm missing it here, but I don't see salt. I do not see the salt on those samples either. Right. And and that's one of the things that we, we see a lot of guys say, well, I'm limited by how many pounds of nitrogen are in there. And that could or be phosphorus. the case too. Yep. Uh, it could be a limit, but yeah, based on a certain nutrient. Uh, and and maybe that's going to come into play before the salt is. I, I really don't know without testing. And unfortunately, many labs, unless well, you specifically request it, don't give us the amount of salt that's in that for, or in that manure. Right. Yeah. So that's really the big thing that we need. In terms of total nitrogen here, it was 27 pounds per ton or 113 pounds per thousand gallons. And I mean, you can look at the phosphorus level, you can look at the nitrogen level and just see, okay, is there a limit I'm willing to hit on that? But yeah, there's nothing. I've looked all through this like four times now and I don't see anything where it says salt. So that's what we need. We want complete tests all the time. We talk about it often here on the show. Whatever you're going to put on your ground, we want to know what's really in that. And if it's manure or compost, one of the most important things, I'd say the most important thing, is salt. Get that on your test. If your lab doesn't normally run that, request it. Yeah, we'd, we'd say call your lab, talk to them about this, and say, hey, I'd really like to know the salt here. Do you offer that? If so, run that analysis instead. Hey, thanks for the question. We really appreciate that. And thanks to you for listening. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.